All right, so let's just get going. I you know, talked about how uh, diverse a set of experiences you've had. So maybe we can start uh, there, right? And so you've gone from PepsiCo to pharmaceutical companies and then uh, Walmart, e-commerce, retail, and then Flexport, which is again a very different kind of business. You know, tell us about uh, you know, the, the motivation. Like, do you just like that challenge of uh, doing different things? And how, as you were thinking about making those transitions, did you ever think of it as a challenge where it was one step back before you took you know, two steps uh, forward because it is a very different domain? Are the challenges, were they different? And, and what was that experience like? No, so it's all set up uh, because PepsiCo, where I grew up, uh, I've spent 14 years and did 12 different roles. So I kind of got set up in Pepsi, different different roles, and most of those roles were newly created. So lucky, right place, right time, you know, I could move around the world. And I kept getting those opportunities. So every role you take, you have a steep learning curve. And PepsiCo is one company, but it have Frito-Lay, you have Tropicana, Quaker, Gatorade, Beverage dairies, everything is different portfolio, different business model. So that prepared me for, for this challenge. And then I, I get bored, you know, doing the same thing, you know, I feel I need to do something different. Uh, pharma change was, was a lot of learning, understanding pharma, but the thesis remains the same, it's value chain optimization. How do you create value? And I was in generic pharma, generic pharma is all about <laughs> maintaining the supply chain, maintaining the cost, bringing your product as fast as you can, and getting the price on that. So it helped me. Uh, Walmart was different, it was a different journey, uh, but still you're dealing with the product, you're dealing with the store, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a learning curve. First 100 days you have to learn a lot, uh, and then after that you started making an impact, but also it, you bring fresh perspective. You're not from that industry, it, it helps you bring fresh perspective, Financial theories remains the same, the principles remain the same, but you can bring the fresh perspective and you can make more impact. Got it. And you talked about how your time at PepsiCo were the formative years yep. and you spent like 14 years there, right? And so when you started your journey there in, in uh, you know, those kinds of initial roles, did you ever think that you had that potential to be the CFOs of multi-billion dollar companies and being responsible for a hundred billion dollar line of business and things like that? And how did you kind of at what point al along that journey did you feel like, oh, I can actually do that, right? No, so I was uh, lucky. I started in Australia, and my first role was merger in integration. So I was working with the CEO, rewriting the CapEx. So it gave me the overall perspective of the business and the levels. Then very quickly, they made me the head of finance for their DST business, so their store delivery, and then vending business. So at very early age, I got the head of finance kind of role, but still, when I moved to US, when I was doing Walmart finance role, that's where I started thinking, maybe I can be a CFO because Walmart was a very foxy culture, you're talking to a CFO, and you see these people are very normal people, you know, and they have different experiences, so that's where I started thinking, but the main it came in when I was in FP&A in New York, I was doing global cash flow and CapEx, and Indra Nui, PepsiCo, uh, just retired, she was the CEO, she, she was the CFO who became CEO. Yep. And so we had a new CFO, Richard Goodman, and we were looking at overall cash flow and CapEx. And my job was to write like 10-year capital structure, strategic plan, and you're working with treasurer, you're working with controller. I was still pretty young, but that's where I started thinking that maybe I can be a CFO. Got it. So in the beginning, it was more like maybe I, sh you know, one day I could, 
But there, while doing that, I said, no, it, I should. And that's where I took the route. I did m and after that. You know? So PepsiCo allows you to do different things. And I asked for M&A. Got it. Because I thought that that would add me to my toolkit. Got it. And so when you were at, a, say, a VP finance level, of course, the scale is a little different. Yeah. Pepsi, Walmart, all these are very large companies. And I'm sure a lot of the finance uh, folks here are at more venture-funded, uh, slightly mm -hmm. smaller companies. But as they're thinking about VP finance to CFO, right, did you approach that, uh, uh, you know, going after that opportunity in a structured way where you identified, okay, here are the gaps in my skills that I need to bridge. And even as you now mentor and maybe advise other finance people, how should they think about making that leap of being eligible for that CFO job relative to maybe a controller today or a VP of finance today? And what was your own experience uh, uh, with that? This is a very good question. So no, uh, fortunately, I was thinking, I knew that I want to be CFO. So I knew what toolkit I bring. So I'm not an accountant, you know, strategy, M&A, FP&A, these toolkit I bring a lot more. And, I, and accounting, audit, you know, I would say I know how to manage, uh, but that's not my number one strength, the way yep. FP&A, strategy, M&A is. So you try, that's what I did, the cash flow job, you know, where you try to do that job so that you can tick that box, you understand those levers, that allows you, a big structured company, they will ask you to do those jobs. Got it. So you have to complement your skills uh, to be the CFO. Once you become the CFO, you make sure that your strongest person, for Mike, is controller. Yep. You know, if I have to fill one role, first I'll fill controller, and I'll have the best FPN I can wait because I can play the role, or strategy, M&A, I can wait. So you have to just complement the team that way that fulfills and complements your skills. Your experience. Got it. And so, speaking of the kind of background in those complementary skills, in, in at least uh, finance, you have a lot of people who come from an audit background, yeah. big four, or you know that kind of control background, and, and people who come from an investment banking merger mm -hmm. acquisition, that kind of a background. Have you seen, you know, when you pattern match over the course of your career, when you've seen other people, uh, do does one? or the other area have an advantage? Is it totally about the nature of the business and what it needs? Or uh, how should people with either background think about your chances at that uh, you know, big job? I would say it's less about the skills and the function you bring. It's more about the individual and curiosity and what they're try, trying to bring in terms of getting their hand dirty in the business. So if, if, even if you come from audit, you really want to understand the You understand the business. But you need to be in the sales call. You need to be with ops call to really understand what they think. And so it's more to do with the lead, the individuals and what mentors they have and how they're doing things versus one pattern. Got it. I've seen success in, across the stream, but it's more to do with what what skills they bring and what what attitude they bring to the role. Got it. Awesome. And so staying on this topic of career paths, uh, you know, something that gets a lot of attention is uh, diversity, especially in the tech, uh, technology industry, right? And so you've had the chance to see that in multiple industries. And so are other industries doing a better job than the technology industry, maybe even from a company-wide perspective or maybe more specifically in finance teams? What are some, uh, you know, what has your experience been uh, in terms of the diversity in these companies and, and what they do to uh, improve that? So it's a journey, uh, diversity is a journey, and every company is, you know, uh, struggling, you know, whether it was a Pepsi, Walmart, we are all trying to one step ahead, and we always behind. Everybody has the same problem. Everybody has the same problem. Uh, 
but a structured big companies, it becomes a little easier because you can give flexibility, you know, when the working moms are in the beginning, so that allows them to go, you know, and be in the career path. Smaller companies becomes difficult uh, because first of all, the work is crazy, and second, you know, there's not too many people that, you know, you can go part-time or you can take some time off, so it becomes difficult, but, you know, as Flexport, I was trying, you know, we all have to do that because that's where we'll have to create shadow jobs or two jobs and, and to make sure that we give the flexibility to the folks in the beginning uh, because that will allow them to be the, the most successful CFO. Got it. It's, it's imperative now. It's, 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 we cannot survive without that. Uh, that's, the, that's where consumers are. That's where new Gen X and Gen Y are asking for that. So it's a retention tool. If you don't have diversity, then you will not be able to attract right talent and retain those talent. Yep. So you don't have a choice to create the shared job and all uh, to work work for that. Awesome. So changing tracks a little bit, let's talk about through your journey, right? And so in terms of uh, the mentors that, that yeah. you had and how, how did, you know, I'm assuming you had yeah. your mentors along this journey and is that something you specifically sought out those relationships and uh, maybe the ne my next question is going to be about how to best make use of mentors once you have them and somebody is generous enough to give you their time but I guess the first question is about uh, how did you even find them is it did you just get lucky in the jobs around the work environment itself because you were in these large companies with more experienced people or did you go outside of these companies and how did you approach that in, in your career? So I always see and that you all need a kind of personal board of directors. And it can be just not work mentor, you know, it can be your spouse, it can be your friend, it can be whom you trust and who can keep you honest. Whom can tell you that, hey, you're not thinking it right. Who's not scared of you. And so you need to have a personal board of directors and people will come and go. But at each stage you need to have that. For even personal life you need to have these. So in my case, PepsiCo was structured. Uh, they used to give uh, mentor, allocate mentors. But most of those mentors didn't work for me. Because it's like, those mentors, you know, it's, it's a formula. Oh, Sudhanshu is from FPNA, we need to give him supply chain finance. Okay, supply chain guy is your mentor. Because I want to do supply chain one day. But it, it's more about, do you have the chemistry? Do you have the comfort level? Can they be your trusted advisor? But you share with them the business examples you're not worried about will we get you know used against you in people planning. Yep. So you need that that comes with the time. You go meet them, you know. And I maintain that formal mentorship. You know, you had to maintain that. Uh, but then through that you, you develop your own informal mentorship, you know. And sometimes it's, it's junior folks too. You don't have to be senior. Yep. If I want to understand accounting, I'll one of my mentor was a junior guy, but he was expert in high period and cash flow. So I used to spend time in, in, in New York, I was, you know, after work, you know, an hour or two, how do you do this thing? Because he will tell me all nuts and bolts of what things happen. So you, you have to find your own mentor, and, and it changes, you know. Then, then I, saw, I wanted to learn treasury. Then I, I still was he was my friend and mentor, but I spent more time with treasury. So when you learn something, then you move on to the different things and you find those mentors and then you help them about the treasury. So that's why you paid forward. Uh, but yeah, I, for, fortunately, formal mentorship didn't work for me. Uh, I maintained that relationship and mentorship on paper uh, and I talked to that individual. And then the, the most you can get out of that is once or twice you talk about like 
career growth and all that. After that, you should bring the issues and see whatever issues you're facing on the business, you bring that. So then the folks become more comfortable telling you how they will approach versus giving you personal career advice, especially if you are part of the same company. Because it can be treated as, you know, like promise that, you know, hey, if you do this, you'll get promoted. And then you go do that, but what if the role is not there? But they don't want to tell you, then they'll be like a little, you know, backed off in terms of giving you the advice. But if you bring the issues and how you will deal with that, they will tell you. Got it. And yeah, and going back to now, you talked about how in, in the evenings you had to spend more time and dig into it, and uh, you know, uh, what was that like over the course of your career, right? And so you always, everybody has this nine to five job, and we're all you know trying to uh, just get that done. But as you're looking at these areas where you're not strong, and you know, how did you invest in that? You know, imagine family and work, and you know, how did you did you have kind of a an approach? to personal growth and, and going after this goal for yourself? Or you know, how did you think about that? And no, how did I you make had, time you know, for it? You know, so I had uh, this approach about personal growth. You know, when I knew that I want to be CFO, then I want to be CFO. And you know, I talked openly with my spouse. She's a great supporter of mine. And then you, you find time. You, know, you find time. You, know, you don't take lunch break. You have lunch with the, the control folks. You, know, you have lunch with him, you know, that meeting. So you have to like, it's your career, you know. We, we go to business school, we write the, our own essay, we get into great, great school, and once we get a job, then say somebody will take care of us. It doesn't work that way. Everybody has done that, now they came. So I say career is 50% led by you, 50% led by the manager. So we need to know what, what you want to do. You have to share, because manager has five different direct reports. He or she can't tell you what to do. And they don't know what's your personal journey, what's your personal... When I did M&A, I didn't have kids. I traveled nine months out of the country. So, but I asked for M&A because I knew in my personal life that two years from now I will have kids. I will not be able to do this crazy job. So I asked for it. It's not that my other job did not... It became crazy. I didn't know that time. But... So you have to plan. Only you know your personal life. You, only you know your personal journey. So you have to make your work fit in. That's why I don't talk about work-life balance. It's more like work-life harmony. How does it fit in with you? And then that allows you to talk to the leader, ask for those roles, all those experiences. I, I also support taking like small projects. So I was in China. I wanted to move to international. They sent me, I said, I can do China. They sent me to China as the interim head of strategy for Pepsi. Because they had, somebody was leaving. They had a space. I had raised my hand. But it's not that my M&A job, M&A job is still there. I had to still do M&A, but the job helped me grow, get that CFO job. Got it, got it. And so now as you've done this for 20 years now, right? And so you've had the opportunity to see a lot of people around you. What patterns have you seen in the people who have gone on to get these bigger jobs who maybe you know, grown uh, alongside you or maybe the people you have managed who have gone on to do, you know, uh, impressive things and gotten to that CFO role or big responsible roles. What are some of those things you normally or generally have seen as, as a pattern, as characteristics, or the approach to the work, or you know, uh, raising their hand when the opportunity comes up? So you know, things like that, and, and what has been your experience on that front? So I've seen folks who have succeeded. You know, they have high EQ. 
because it, luckily I was in companies where everybody has IQ, so that's like given. So people who had better EQ, who can collaborate and work better with the team, who gives credit to others too, it's not just about them, because ultimately it becomes team. The higher you go, then less about you, it's more about your team and how you mentor your team, how you coach them. And the other people have said more yeses they have in life. Got it. You know, uh, that, that those are the folks, you know, like when people ask you about the job, ask you about the assignment, ask you about some project, how you can solve and say more yes and figure out your prioritize your other work versus, oh, I'm so busy, I cannot do it. Somebody will do that and that person will have leg up over you. Got it. Got it. And so over the course of these last 20 years, obviously, you've had to kind of build teams. You've had to manage people. Did that always come naturally to you? Or is that something you had to work at, right? And so because people management is a lot of times not something that just comes naturally, right? And so it's not something you're just good at. Uh, how was that with you? Is that something you were or is that something no, you so I was at? good with people having being an immigrant and kept moving around cities every two years. You kind of, you always have to be uncomfortable zone. You have to adapt. So I always tell my team that I will adapt with your staff versus you adapt with me. So that, because of I moved around, so that one, something was natural. Not natural because of me moving around and, and getting scars and learning. Uh, I, I got that. But it's all about who you hire as a team. You know? do, you, do, do they come as a one team or not? Do, will they put team first or individual first? And you can go wrong, but if you look for more those those skill set of the individual when you're hiring them, and you showing those behaviors, where behaviors are good behavior, you're showing, showcasing to the folks, then people like to be that way. And then this team will function. Uh, and that's, but I'm very, I'm an empowering uh, leader. You know, I, I tell people I will not know their job better than themselves because they are more into detail. So I empower them. And they like it, you know, uh, because they like to bring their own creativity to the job versus telling them what to do. Got it. Uh, but at the same time, you have some guardrails, you know, that you know, we, we need to make a decision by Friday, then we can't keep thinking till next week. So there's a framework, and you have freedom within the framework. But as long as you're communicating to the team, everyone would like to get treated the same way. Got it. Awesome. So now, as you look back, yeah. like, can you think of, you know, maybe some big mistakes that you made that were kind of lessons for you to take away that made you a better CFO in, in future roles? Can you think of any instances that you can share with? Uh, no, so, with so growing up, you know, PepsiCo is, they call it an academy company, you know, and fortunately I had a lot of experiences. So we were like, I always felt that I had the answers. Uh, and I was less patient, you know, you know, about with other folks, other exec team, you know. I have the answer, why are you wasting time? Just move. And, and sometimes, you know, I got more resistance from the team, not because the ideas, it was how I was pushing the idea. Got it. It was more like, I know the answer. Why are you like, why are you not thinking, just move, you know. If you're not moving fast enough, like I was looking down on you, then you're not smart. So the attitude changed that, you know, it's not about my idea, it's about how do you like slow down and take two steps forward. So the, I, I have scars, I have learnings, you know, as you mature, as you have experience, you get better with these. Got it. So let, let's talk a little bit about the role of finance, right? So I, the jobs you've had, I'm also assuming 
these different industries had different cultures yep. within those uh, organizations and finance typically i think one of the things that uh, a lot of uh, finance teams uh, struggle with is being seen as this back office function right and so how is it culturally in these different companies at you know maybe pepsi or walmart or sipler the pharmaceutical company flexport you know new age technology company how did how did the rest of the company see the role of finance in in these different cultures and is that something you had to do to specifically change mindset about the role of finance and things like that so it was different in different companies so pepsico uh, finance is copilot got it. most of the pepsico ceos were ex the ceo was the ceo ex ceo so we finance was the copilot if the ceo is on vacation or gm is on vacation finance will run the staff meeting got it we had the same kpis uh versus gm except like 20% is all about accounting and doing it the right right way so it was easy in pepsi but for me it was difficult i was moving jobs so every job you have to establish yourself but finance had a place when i moved to sipla it was totally different i i never worked in pharma and pharma finance is not especially the innovator pharma you know once you have the product once you have the brand who cares about the finance like you have so much margin yeah generic is was different so i used my pepsi knowledge to become a copilot so it was in the beginning i had to prove myself that you know finance shouldn't be just number cruncher finance looks down you know, they can look at the value they can look at the r&d portfolio you can think through an option value what if if you stage gate you know this product doesn't happen or scenario planning and you can start getting credibility uh, with your exact team and once they support you then obviously ceo will support you so you have yeah. to earn walmart again it's a walmart cfo becomes a ceo and ceo so it was easy uh but the merchant controls the power basically Got which it. item you buy so is the trend i'm seeing then that in more established companies finance, finance typically has a bigger seat at the table yep. but then if it's a you know smaller companies you have to on that right you have to build that credibility to be the thought partner and you have Got to it. deliver quick wins uh and you have to like kind of go extra you know understand sales look at the sales report and sometimes we're looking at the sales report and have a conversation with sales like that's where the like hey what happened last quarter looks like it's down even if we don't know the levels he would like to tell you like you know why is down because five accounts moved on or the churn then you use that information then you ask the supply folks then you creating this perception among that you're not a number cruncher sitting in the in on behind your computer you understand supply you don't understand too much but at least it gives you the credibility to dig deep into Got businesses Got it and speaking of the role of finance and and this is a question i'm asking you know everybody who comes because it's so relevant in where we are right in terms of corporate governance and uh, maybe it's uh, a little too close to you so tell me how you want to kind of answer this but uh, we we also read about we work and you know the challenges of we work and softbank and the levels of investment and things like that and uh, discussions about corporate governance and how did that even happen in the first place and so uh, what role do you think a finance team plays in in organizations like that especially when it's the early go go days you're investing you're growing and finance is usually the voice of reason in the room right is that you know that's why i i usually uh, mm-hmm. tell everybody you should if a smart in a startup you're going to make friends with uh, finance people because they always know the truth of what is happening right and so but but how do you kind of uh, think about the role of finance in situations like that in terms of uh corporate governance and and reining in 
uh, uh, exuberance, which might be irrational exuberance and things like that, right? No, finance is a critical role to play. And I mean, in a growth companies, your voice can get, you know, people will not, unless it's not illegal, you know, it's like a different strategy. They can, they can shut you down in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's where you need to build credibility with other execs to kind of support. But if it's not going the right way, if the corporate governance is not the right, then you shouldn't be there. You know, finance career is, you know, it always becomes difficult, you know, if the corporate governance is not there and you were the finance person. Yep. So you have to be the region of truth, you have to be the truth warrior and career is very long. You know, if you feel something, you're not agreeing, you're not supporting, there are lots of opportunities, you should just leave. Got it. You know, because it is, it's just, it's just not worth it. Got because it. eventually those things will catch up and all the valuation and the growth you were shown and given, that will catch up and those, and you won't, first of all, you won't have too much to lose anyway, uh, so why to give up your career? Got it. And so you also, again, going back to the diversity of experiences, you not only worked in different industries, you worked in different countries, right? The US, Australia, India, you know, different markets at different stages of maturity. Has that at all played any role in your experience of corporate governance and any lessons from that? Yeah, no, so PepsiCo is all about, you know, corporate governance, so, you know, but when I was in CIPLA, you know, and we had in 200 countries, you know, so some stuff you don't know, it maybe it's, it's right for that country, but I had most of my shareholders from US, you know, and I got trained at FCPA, so we, I sacrificed as a CEO of some businesses which I wasn't agreeing with, uh, because I wasn't aligned with the corporate governance of that, that distributor in that country. Got it. And so you have to, and ultimately in the long run, you will succeed. Uh, but yeah, it's those un uncomfortable moments because people were doing certain things and you were the guy who was stopping it. Got it. So it, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, it's, it's, not, it's not easy, uh, but you have to keep your moral so I guess, compass. I guess the bottom line is, you know, finance careers are long and yep. reputations stick. Yep. You don't want your name to be next to the company Yes. that had a reputation for bad governance as the finance person. Yeah. Right? Whenever you see the sign, you leave. You know, you'll finance. People need corporate governance. There's so many CFO jobs are open. There's so many finance jobs are open here. It, it will always be open. So it's not worth it. Got it. So let, let's talk a little bit about how the role itself has changed and evolved, mm -hmm. right? And so, uh, you know, you've been doing finance roles for about 20 years now, right? I, I find it very interesting that you studied physics and then <laughs> went down this path and became a CFO. Maybe that's a different conversation, but, but you have been doing this for 20 years. How has the role itself evolved uh, over that time? And when you started off in your career to today, is it largely the same? The basics are not going to change. Like, you know, that's that's an age-old uh, thing, but what has changed in your experience? So it's all phases. You know? So when I remember when I moved to US in 2001, Enron scandal had happened. Yep. So if you look at those times, most of the CFO jobs were controlling, control and audit folks. Then you go into you know, another phase where a lot of banking and M&A, when growth, crazy growth going on. Now it's more about strategic business partner, digital CFO who's digitally savvy and who can work in agile and tech space. So it, it keeps changing and you have to keep upskilling yourself if you want to pace, you know, if you want to succeed, you have to keep upskilling yourself. So it, it changes, it evolves, but the basic remains the same, but who, who, which function takes the bigger seat? Got it. You know, with machine learning and all that, you know, share services, a lot of things can get done, 
then you have to be more strategic and more business partner, business savvy CFOs. And I think that those will always, machine can never solve that. So if you want to be CFO 10 years from now or stay as a CFO for 10 years from now, you have to be more of a co-pilot, co-general manager who understand numbers and nobody can stop you there. Got it. And as you think about the transitions that you have had in your career, which one was the toughest for you and, and, and why? As you went through these different roles and different jobs, you know, for me, the toughest was when I got promoted as CEO of Cipla. Got it. So I was a strategy M&A guy and who's non-pharma. I was pretty young that time. Uh, and now I'm running a global pharmaceutical company where most of my direct reports are the CEOs of divisions. And they've been like 30 years in pharma. And I knew the strategy. I knew the path I was taking the company. but. I need to execute with the leaders. I'm sure they must be thinking, who this guy, why he's the, he's the CEO, why not, not me? So what I did that time, it took me a lot of, uh, I built relationship with those folks because they were my peers. They were my peers, I was their strategy guys, I'm supporting them, working, now I'm their boss, and asking numbers and, you know, and being with the customer calls with them. So that was the toughest transition for me. But the way I dealt with is we figured out a space that was their strength was my strength. And we agreed explicitly that this this what you focus on, this is what I will focus on. Obviously we'd have to deliver the number, but we agreed with and different CEOs, we had I had five CEOs reporting to me. Different CEOs had different strength. So we figured out a way that you know how do you know like a marriage, you know, how do you work? What's your strength? What will you do? What your spouse will do? What a partner will do? Uh, but yeah, it was a great experience though. You know. Got it. And so you, you talked about how the basics don't change, but uh, you know, macro trends change. Yeah. The type of industries you work in might change and the expectations of a CFO, depending on the industry you work in, might change. But as you look at, say, the next 10 years, a lot of the people in this room might be up for those CFO roles in the next five years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were to kind of look at that crystal ball and think about how it might change now, what skills do you think might be more important? Any trends you're seeing from your seat about maybe uh, technologies that are developing and, and for example, is the whole uh, notion of art- artificial intelligence taking away jobs going to affect finance uh, in, in any specific way and how should a potential CFO think about that? You talked about upskilling. So over the next five, 10 years, do you see any areas where you would recommend or advise uh, uh, potential CFOs to focus on and to upskill and, and, and build their skills around? So I would say being digital savvy, you know, if, if machine can do the job, if anything like second time you're doing the same thing, build a process. If third time you're doing the same thing, make sure that machine or app or software does that. So how do you make, make sure that, you know, you build your processes and learning you have so you can understand, you know, spend time with engineers see how they think, spend time with product managers. They are the future CEOs, you know, uh, the product managers who really manage the product, spend time with them if you're in finance. Seeing this, the processes you're building, can that get automated? And you're thinking more as a proactive, then you'll always be ahead of the, if, if these this steps become pro, you know, automated, then what could I do with the time? And that time you use learning the customer, learning the customer journey, understanding the CAC, understanding the LTV, so that's what digitally savvy, I would say one. Second, spending time with tech, because think about tech first. People will always lead, but it has to be tech enabled. And third, use that time what you, you free up to understanding the business and thinking more of a macro 
Good news is with Google, you have everything you can check and learn. You, curiosity is needed. Any type topic, you don't need to read books. You'll know enough by just going on Google for that. Got it. And keep upskilling that way, understanding the business model, understanding about your competitors, so that you never get disrupted, or you always are ahead of the disruption. Got it. And and speaking of that. Uh, do you have a network of people that you try to stay in touch with at any given moment to learn from? And does this upskilling happen in your experience? Just you go do it, you research, you do it, or do you have a network that you rely on where you exchange ideas and, and you learn from peers and things like that? Is that something that you so have I done? Have, I have network, you know, luckily, since I did different jobs in different industries, different locations, so I kept, I, you know, one of the strengths I have a relationship builder, I kept that strength. But I don't go waste my you know, category time of Conagra with my friend. I would go read about Conagra. I go read about what, when I was at Walmart, you know, what these challenges they're facing, you know, go through their earning call, and then have a call with them. Got it. So that way I can get the most out of that call that, hey, I saw that you know, this private label brand is not doing as well in, in your you know, earning call. You said, what do you think can happen? And use that learning for my Walmart. And when I'm talking to my Walmart private label brand, I use that skills to talk to that. Persons spend more time with me that I'm not a typical finance guy now. I'm talking about their brand. I'm talking about the product launch. But I learned because I have an expert in Conagra, he's not giving private information, public information, but I'm using from the earning call, the trend, the read. So you have to do some research. Yeah. Then it's easier to talk to an expert if you have your network uh, than just keep reading because you'll never understand the overall perspective. Got it. Yeah, and my own experience in, in a different area has also been that a lot of that learning happens from peers, right? And so you have, have that good network. Uh, and I, I should take that opportunity to quickly plug, uh, you know, we are trying to do our bit uh, in terms of creating that network. We have a, a Slack group now called Off the Ledger that uh, there are a bunch of uh, finance leaders, controllers, CFOs, VPs of finance who kind of uh, are helping each other and asking uh, questions and things like that. If that's interesting, uh, you folks should definitely uh, join. Uh, we'll have details about that in the email that follows after this event. Now, uh, Sudarshu, a last question before I kind of uh, hand it over to the uh, audience for their questions is, the relationship between a CFO and a CEO is such an important one, right? And yes, so... Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and what are some of your lessons learned in terms of nurturing that, building that, building, you talked about building trust mm -hmm. uh, a few times, right? And so what are some of your lessons learned in, in how you went about doing that? And you know, have there also been experiences where you felt like oh, I could have done a better job or something like that? And I'd like to end by uh, asking you that question. No, this is key. CEO and CFO relationship, relationship is key because CFO job is to by doing the right thing and all, it, I say it's a day job, basics, you know, about driving change, driving accountability. If you don't have a CEO support, it becomes very difficult to implement those changes and build those KPIs. And the one way, you know, yeah, I had both, you know, I had great CEO experience and somewhere, you know, I didn't have that trust uh, with the CEO and I had to really build on it. And it became more on, you know, like, these are the KPIs we're going to track and we agreed and then it's more business driven versus the, the emotional EQ trust. So you have different CEOs, different personality you have. Uh, for me, the way, the best way of doing it is about, don't be anyone's friend. Finance, I would say, finance can never be anyone's friend. Finance <laughs> has to be fair to everyone. So be, make sure that you're not friends with CMO, even if you are, but it shouldn't be seen, it's a fair. You have to be fair to, 
to CMO, to your marketing, your sales, your supply. By being that, then CEO can see you that you're impartial. Because CEO will have, you know, the, some execs, they worked longer, they have more closure relationships, some execs, they haven't worked longer, they're still building that. So the, you shouldn't be seen as, you know, close to some execs. So be fair, be always fact-based. Always bring the facts and be tough on the, on the issues, not tough on the people. So that right. way, you know, if you, if you feel like some, if sales folks messed up and you're tough for that individual, then CEO will try to like defend him, but if he or she is his friend. So those are the things, basics day to day you do. Obviously don't get involved into gossips and all, whatever you say, if you say to somebody, finance, you have a lot more information. So if you say to somebody, hey, don't tell anyone, you will tell somebody, hey, don't tell anyone and the whole room will know. And by the time what you said, it's all get. So I would say finance, just get off the gossips. And that way, CEO, in, in a month or two, he will see that you, know, you have the right genuine interest of business in mind. And that, that's where you get the credibility. Got it. Excellent. That was amazing. Thank you. I'm going to hand it over to you know, folks in the audience if anybody uh, has any questions. So any questions at all? So that's just going to hang out for a bit. So you can even have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with him uh, and spend some time. Uh, but any questions uh, for him for now? Go for it. You can speak into it. You can just speak into it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, my name is Feng Qi. Uh, I'm the FPNA manager in Granular, which is actually right across the street of Flexport. On the FPNA side, my f biggest struggle is like, how can I add value to the business partner? So I can hear your thoughts on that end and how to kind of progress from the FPNA side. Thank you. So the FPNA, I think they're the, I say, brain of the company. You know, they have all the information. Uh, so depending on how do you take insights out, it's more about, you know, just know the data. And it's, you cannot be, you cannot have analysis paralysis. You'll never have the full 100% of the facts. So how do you take like 60, 70% of the facts and insights, uh, de depending on which industry you are, but take some facts out and start sharing. The more you share with you know, business leaders, whether it's a sales leader or your boss, so CFO, because to make him or her look good, give him or her the customer information or P&L or, and you can, you can, like there's not P&L, doesn't have to be like SEC certified P&L, it's management P&L, you know, you just allocate that, you know, if rent will just get allocated 10%, and you can come up with a contribution margin and give him or her the analysis that will make the CFO look good. Then he will ask you more analysis. And it will also help you build the credibility that wherever the tough strategic issue comes, go to this FP&A team. Because you can be just back end giving report and no insights, no summary. Then we don't need to have FP&A. We can create a dashboard, all those metrics, and machine will do the job then. So that's what I would say. Always think about like why, why, what happened, what happened, what happened. And there's always insights. There's always insights. So many customers. So many transactions in tech. There's always insights, but you have to keep digging. Thank you for valuable insights today. Um, a follow-up question based on what you mentioned, like you became CEO at a very young age and took management responsibilities at a very young age. How would you go about asking for that career moves uh, with 
from your managers or from your mentors or from leadership, do you have any advice for us to not promote, for lack of better word, but you mentioned like we are responsible for our careers, but how do you promote and then talk about your aspirations and at the same time prove yourself to get to the next level or the management level at an early age? So, so it's all, as I said, you, you have to say more yeses in life, you know, mm -hmm. you have to, so that way it rounds your, your experience. So that's one. And the second is once you have a trust with your manager or your manager's manager, you have to be open what you want to do. I, or like, and you don't have to tell the whole thing, you know, like, you don't, I want to be CEO, but don't tell him that, or her, I want to be CEO in three years, even if you're thinking about three years. But the conversation should be, one day I would like to be the CEO of this company or CEO of this company and look at the journey of the CEOs who has been there. So that will help you some, like you can just recreate two CEOs of the company, what have they done? So from there you can create your own path that you know, I bring those three things, those two things I need to do. And then you have to, you have to share and you have to toot your own horn. You have to, to, to tell folks this is what you have done to your manager, to your peer, to lunchroom conversation. You have to do it because I used to say at, at Pepsi that we all have a ticker, like PepsiCo ticker was PEP, mine is like SSP. We all have a ticker. And every day there's some good thing happens, some bad thing happens. But when you are CFO, what do you talk about the business? You talk about opportunities. I remember we say our best days are ahead of us. These are the eight things that's working and we have three things that not working for us. So you always have to tell your story about what you want to do and what have you done. And nor, not just activities, it's like what you drove the business. Because that's what the, the, the senior you are, their ear will come once you tell them the impact you have made. I closed the books in 10, 10 days. OK, so what? Like he doesn't even know what happens then. <laughs> but that, that allowed me the third week to focus on driving insights. And we reforecasted our business in week three to help that help sales achieve the goal. Same sentence, you say, I'm just making it up here. But same sentence you say, then you, the, he's just listening you achieve the goal of sales. That's very important to him. So you, how do you, it's like same information, how do you give, how do you paraphrase? And tell, start with your friends, start with your colleagues, but you have to, you have to say that, you know, what you want. You know, and, and you have to watch the behavior of the leaders who are in that job. What they're doing, what makes them successful, what are the things you will not do if you are in that job. So once you get to the job, you become successful because you've already been living the job and their mistakes or you're kind of observing them. So, and that's perfect. My own experience has also been that it's, all, it's also about not being afraid to ask for the things you want, even if you're uncomfortable about not being ready for it, right? I think the reality is that most people are not ready for you know, bigger roles, responsibilities that they get. But if you're afraid to kind of put yourself outside that zone of comfort, uh, chances of it happening are lesser, right? So, awesome. So, anybody else? If you can look back to the first time you were a CFO, what did the first 30 days look like? What did the first 60 days look like? What did you focus on? Who did you talk to? And what were some of the key um, performance indicators that you wanted to meet? So my first CF, like a real CFO role was when I became CFO of global R&D for PepsiCo. 
We had more than 2,000 people. We were spending close to a billion dollar. And I was the first CFO because we used to, before we used to have this R&D head of finance in Fidelity, for Quaker, for Tropicana. It's like they're on fiefdom and kingdom and versus now it's a global CFO role. I put all that money together. The first 30 days, I had to kind of justify my role. And it becomes very difficult when you internally, like you're going and dealing with Snack CFO who was your mentor, who helped you get to your career. Now you're talking to him about how much money you're spending in R&D and are we getting the value out of it. So first 30 days for me was listening, creating what I would do differently versus just collating and summing up those numbers. Then you build a team. So I made sure that you know I built a team. I got one snack finance guy, one beverage finance guys, and got them as part of my R&D global team. That way they can talk their language, they have their own relationship uh, with those folks. They will share information because it becomes very hard in big companies to get information. They will stonewall you. And then you have to deliver, deliver quick wins quickly. Because all the CFOs are shareholders. So one thing in that project what I did, when I looked at the spend of R&D, what happens in big companies, or even these companies, they will give you, your dollar is flat. Every year, you know, finance dollar will remain flat, or if sometimes lower. What happens when dollar is flat? You still have to give people raises. So what happens then, you give people raises, then you have no money to do projects, innovation. So slowly, it should be R&D, should be 50% people cost, 50% project cost. It became 70-30 for us, some businesses. And nobody was looking, you know, some businesses were different. And then you go talk to the CFO that we cannot run this way. Then any CFO who has right intention of the business, they will say, doesn't make sense. That's for finance. And then they will help you support you. That's what I did. Then we ended up being, doing restructuring, you know, of the, of the company, not filling any jobs, moving jobs around, bringing projects together, not having duplication of projects, but India R&D is doing, China R&D is doing. Then you start doing stage gating. So that's what I did, you know. First 30 days, build credibility. Second 30 days, build a team that can give me the credibility and deliver quick wins. And third, the 100 day, I delivered that project. It's become a new thing. It's basic insights, you know, all the projects, doing the option value for R&D. And that gave me the credibility. Awesome. So I'm going to uh, wrap it up here. Sudanshu is going to hang out for a little bit more. So if any of you have any questions, please uh, feel free to come and uh, chat with him. Sudanshu, thank you so much. This was super insightful. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.